um, once again getting to see a bunch of folks we haven't seen in a long time and um, it's always good to get reacquainted I hope that as we study through the scriptures this evening that you will find something in it that is helpful or encouraging encouraging or motivating to you in in some way as we study through God's scriptures as we talked about last night we wanted to talk about commitment in various forms throughout our weekend together we we first mentioned the idea of Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3 and what he looked at that congregation he said if you're going to be able to endure the trials that are about to come and if you're going to last throughout that uh, the persecutions and the troubles that will come that what they would have to do is is turn from a lukewarm mentality in their service for God and that they had they would need to be hot they need to be committed and convicted and and we we want to be committed and hot people for the Lord people who are who are zealous we'll talk about being zealous of good works on Sunday evening we'll talk about being uh, committed to boldness tomorrow morning but this evening I want to talk about our commitment to conforming to Christ and not conforming to the world on on the screen behind us you'll see uh, the the cutout of, of cookies um, I like I like pretty much all forms of cookies sister over here said now she's just be thinking about cookies all through the service I bet there'll be some cookies after church tonight stick around for that uh, but you understand the picture here is that whenever someone makes cookies and they use a cookie cutter that as they go through there with that stamp and as they stamp out each cookie there's a uniformity there a lot of times as as contractors are building subdivisions we'll call those cookie cutter subdivisions why because the contractors are building house after house after house that looks like each other and that's a practical thing you know whenever you're talking about contracting it's 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 cheaper um, they go up faster because you have forms and all the parts are all the same and so we understand that from that aspect but I'll tell you as Christians we cannot be cookie-cut houses when it comes to looking like everyone else in this world we have to be different we're called to be different I want to talk about that a little bit this evening I want to start if you would in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 he says be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God so this comes right on the hill of him talking us about us being a a living sacrifice it's a reasonable service and the first thing he says is be not conformed to this world now we understand what conformity is but just a simple definition on being conformed means to be fashioned like or pattern after just like a cookie will be fashioned after the pattern of its of its cutter and I'll tell you for so many people in this world it's a weird thing that the world is is preaching individuality and allow everyone to be their own individual but really the underlying message is not a message of individuality but it's a message that says you must be just like me and they will pound and they will and they will beat and they will yell and they will scream and they'll work and they'll labor at grabbing your heart and controlling your life until you look just like they do in standards of morality that's really what the world wants they don't want individuality they want confirmation and they want you to conform to be just like them because it's easier on the conscience if something does not stand out and look different. Now what Jesus says, he says you don't bow to that pressure. He says what we need to be as Christians is we need to be changed. The renewing of our mind, renewing of our life. Often as Christians we talk about this process about the old man being uh, passed away and the new creature or the new man lives on. And that sounds like a simple process. It seems like it should be a simple process. 
that I am willing to give my life over to Jesus and let him start controlling what I do. And, and I won't do all the things that I used to do. But I'll tell you, it's, it's hard. It's not just as clean cut and simple as just all of a sudden I'm new and I'm, I'm all the way changed. You know what it takes? It takes commitment. It takes a constant effort being put into it because what God does is He takes this new creature that you are, He sends it out with a new message into the same old world. All the commandments that we're given as Christians is not to just go on living our life for ourselves, but He told, as He told His disciples before He left them, He said, go into the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Go into every nation, right? And as we go out into every nation, as we spread the gospel, what are we surrounded by? We're surrounded by the world. Paul talked to us about how if we were going to get away from all the sin and all the damage and all the chaos of this world, he said we'd have to get out of this world. One of my favorite scriptures that we oftentimes talk about the first part of it. In James chapter 1, I believe verse 27, he says, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this that we visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. Now that's the trick. How do we go out and work in a world that we're fighting so hard to not be like and still keep ourselves unspotted from the world? That, that takes work. One of the things I think about about keeping myself unspotted from the world and making sure that I'm not conforming and looking just like the world, I think about our house back in Lubbock. Seven or eight years ago, as, as we were about to move from that area out to Arkansas, I finally got serious about landscaping because before that it was about me doing as little bit as possible in the yard and getting back inside so I wouldn't get sandblasted and beat by the heat. So my yard looked pretty rough. But then whenever I wanted somebody else to buy that house, I had to take a little bit better care of it outside and make it look a little more presentable. And so I started making a flower bed out front. And I went and I got some landscape timbers and I put some beautiful black potting soil out there inside of that flower bed and I planted me some flowers. And then the task began to just keep those plants alive. It's so dry out there. And, and what I would do, Ellen said it was a very, you know, and she didn't mean this derogatorily towards the older fellers, I mean it, but she said it was very old mannish of me because I'd go out there with my water hose every day and I'd water those plants. The problem about watering those plants by hand is that every time I squirted water into that flower bed is that that black potting soil jumped up out of that flower bed onto my light brown brick. And if I left that black potting soil on that light brown brick all day long, that West Texas heat just baked it on there. And it was brutal to get it off. And that's the challenge for you and I is that we're doing the best that we can every day to, to wash the side of our house off with a hose, so to speak, so that the world doesn't stick to us. But that's exactly what the world does. It tries little by little, piece by piece, little piece of dirt by little piece of dirt. He tries to cake our hearts and to, and to make our life look more and more like them. And that's why he gives us commandments as he sent us out in the world like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14, he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion have light with darkness. Now, a lot of times we read this passage and we say, yeah, I understand that. You understand, don't be unequally yoked. It's a drive-by passage. But I'll tell you, he's very adamant about this teaching and it's for our benefit. He goes on through here and he, he said, he goes through all these comparisons. I mean, what, what, is, has, what, what fellowship does God with Belial and, and righteousness with unrighteousness and light with darkness? And he, he goes on and on and he, he ends up saying, come ye out and be ye separate. 
And so he tells us we need to make sure that our, our relationships in life are not ones where we're in close proximity with people in the sense that we make them our closest relationships to where we will end up being just like them. You know, this isn't just a commandment here in the New Testament to you and I. It's something that he has always said. You look back as he's talking to his people after the Exodus. In Exodus 34, before they go into land, he said, Take heed to thyself, lest they make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a, a snare in the midst of thee. But you will destroy their altars and break their images and cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they go whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eatest sacrifice. And thou take it of their daughters unto thy sons. And their daughters go whoring after their gods and make thy sons to go whoring after their gods. This is a very strong language. Uh, this is language that a lot of people in the world today are going to look at, and they're not going to be able to stomach that because strong language. He said, I want you to be careful about your associations. I'm warning you. If you start making covenants with them, if you start getting too close to them that, that they are your influencers, they will, in fact, influence you. That's going all the way back to what we read in Corinthians. He said, don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. The truth is, so often we think that we're the influencers when so easily it is that the world is the ones who influences us. He doesn't just give us an arbitrary commandment because he's a mean and hateful God who said, I don't want you to spend any time with those people. They're not mine. That's not what it's about. He said, I want you to be careful about your relationships because people will have an impact on you. Didn't we see that with these folks? The first thing they did is they go into the land and they make a covenant with or make a deal with some of the people land and they were their enemies and they were a thorn in their side all throughout time. And over and over we see them going back and worshiping their gods and God has to come and punish them and they say, we repent, we repent and they return back to him. And then again, they would go back if they made those covenants and they would, they would worship those false gods again. Before this, you go back to Genesis chapter 6, the beginning of the chapter and he talks about how the sons of God, right? They went to be with the daughters of men over and over over throughout time to you and I and to our forefathers before us, those who would follow God, he says, be careful. Be careful and don't be like the world around you. Well, I tell you, the world is tricky. The world is tricky. It sneaks into our life with, without us realizing it sometimes. And, and we can be so blind to the things going on in our life. And we can end up just like them because the world so often doesn't recognize that they're doing evil things. Doesn't recognize that they're living in opposition to God. They're living their life the way that they think they ought to. We talked a little bit about that last night. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 20. He said, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, and the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned in Christ." And the commandment he gives us, he, he, he says, I don't want you to be like these people out there. And what, what are they like? And he said, they're people who have their understanding darkened. It's incredible to me. I guess it shouldn't be. Sometimes it's incredible to me as we sit down and we study the Bible with people who haven't picked up the Bible and studied very much in their life. Some of the things that seem like such a common knowledge item that we shouldn't be doing. 
that other people are going, wait, that's wrong? To be honest, I, I was in a study here a little while back with, with, with a woman probably about my age in her mid late 30s. And as we started studying, we were talking about sexual immorality and, and this, this young woman, she had no clue that pornography was wrong. Didn't know. You know, to people who grew up in the church or reading their Bibles, it seems like something that should be a no-brainer, but there are people who walk alienated from God because of the darkness of their mind. Without a thought, they're separated. And he said, I don't want you to be like these people. Like these people who commit sins or don't even know that they're doing sins, don't know that they're separated from God, there should be a more conscious awareness. Yet the truth is, brothers and sisters, is that the world does rub off on us and we become more and more conformed to it without realizing. And I'm going to go through a short list this evening. And I'm, I'm not saying that this is an entire list or these are the most egregious things. What I want to do this evening, you may look at this short list of things where the church has in times past or individuals or even myself have conformed to it. I don't want you to look at that list as something that is exhaustive or you may not have any faults with any of these things. It may, may not be your thing. But I want you to think about how that has happened in the church. And then I want you to think about what are the things in your life where you may have conformed to the world in some way and not been conforming to the image of Christ. I'll tell you, it is easy to start walking like these people, to start living like these people, to start doing things like these people. Even whenever we can identify it in the world, sometimes we don't identify it in ourselves. How are we talking, brothers and sisters? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I look around the world to me and I can identify this type of speech, evil speaking. Sometimes it's incredible the amount of profane words that some people can fit into one sentence. It's incredible. And it's very sad. I had, a, I had a supervisor one time, and a good guy in a lot of ways, but we were having, as we had religious conversations, one of the things he told me, he said, Lee, I just, you know, I, I think God has bigger things to worry about than the things that come out of your mouth, or whether I say a curse word here or there. Well, I, I think he does. I mean, that's not my opinion or anything else like that. That's, that's what he says. He says, let no evil speech come out of your mouth. And we sit there and we identify those type of things from the world and coming out of their mouths. But let's, let's ask ourselves, am I so different sometimes to the world or have I conformed to the world? Because how many times have you and I spoken with bitterness about people or anger or wrath? How many times have we talked evil about the, about the people that, who are in charge of us and our government? And complained about somebody. How many times have we spoke out about the things that someone else has done in their life and we go around and we talk about others uh, gossiping about it? There are times where we see the evil of the world so clearly, yet for us we don't realize that we've conformed in ways. And it's easier for us to start doing some of the thing, same things that they do. You know, he, as he tells us to submit or as he tells us to, to speak no evil of any man, um, it's time, whenever we disagree with someone, it's hard to, to maintain that level of, of kindness. Whenever we disagree with someone vehemently, it's hard for us to not sit back and, and think bad things about them and call them names or, or, or talk about their intelligence or lack thereof as we see it. That's not uncommon in the world today. 
It should be uncommon in God's people. The way that we talk ought to be different from the world. There ought to be a marked difference. One of the things that a lot of people who claim religion and claim to be godly do is they may not guard their tongue like they ought to. You know, in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 26, just before one of the passages we referenced earlier, he said, If any man among you seem to be religious and he bridles not his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is vain. And vain means it's empty or worthless. I was talking about this with some brethren last night. Um, it's wild sometimes having conversations with people out in the world. and So I'm not winking at you in my contacts trying to move around on me. There we go. Um, I'll be having conversations with people and they may be letting their profanity fly, you know, uh, without regard. And then they'll find out that you're a religious person of sorts. And then all of a sudden, they're very religious too. And I'll, I'll tell you, to me, that is one of those, those moments where I got to be careful because I might sit back in my heart and in an unrighteous way, I might go, whew, yeah, real religious. You know, I doubt that. <laughs> and, then, and then I find myself in moments where I've let my guard down and I speak evil about my brother or sisters. There are times where I've let my guard down and I've said things that are just as vile as somebody else. I mean, I can't lie to you, brothers and sisters. One of the hardest things that I've ever had to try to put down is profanity. You want to talk about an addiction that gets a hold of your heart and you don't realize it. Sometimes I'll go years and won't say anything and, and think everything is good. And I think that's one of the things sin does. You think you've got it beat and when you let your guard down, it comes up. I hope I don't slip again. But the, the point is, is it is easy for us on these simple things that we see in the world to act just like them. Even, without even realizing it, conforming and being just like them without realizing it. We have to make sure that we are transformed and renewed and not conform. Simple things, well, maybe not so simple things that we conform in. What about parenting? How are we parenting? Proverbs 13 and verse 24, he says, He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loveth him chaseth him betimes. Now, this is not the message you're going to hear from the world today. I know this as, as I struggle along doing the best that I can as a young parent. This is not the message you get. Everything coming out of academia and out of the psychology world and things like that is you don't discipline your kids. You don't, don't whip those babies. I'll tell you, it's even happening inside of the church nowadays. If someone gets up and they, they go out and they correct their child, guaranteed. Well, I can't guarantee it, but oftentimes there might be someone after church who, I mean, look, they got a soft heart. No one likes to see a child have to get disciplined. They go, you, got, you just need to be more patient with those, with those babies. Now, there's a time and a place that our kids need to be disciplined. But the world is, is pressuring and pressuring and pressuring us not to discipline and not to have standards. I start hearing more and more and more of, of parents in the church that they'll say things like, spanking just doesn't work with my kid. Now listen, I know all kids have a different personality and some of them, I mean, Tori, she might need more whippings and miles. <laughs> some weeks maybe that reverses. Sometimes they need more talking and, and less, and sometimes they might need a little less talking. But... The truth is, God, he prescribed a pattern. He prescribed a methodology. He said that, that the rod of correction will drive foolishness far from the heart of a child. 
That's what he's prescribed. Have we bought into something that the world has taught us as parents? And I understand discipline isn't the only side of this, but listen, our kids need to understand that there's consequences whenever we, whenever we sin. If we don't start teaching about the consequences of doing wrong right now, they may never accept the grace of God because of the corrective nature of becoming a Christian and conforming to Christ. Who's going to teach them if we don't? It's not all about the paddle, though. Think about the way that we're training them up. Ephesians 6 and 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I always think of nurturing as like that kind, cuddly word. And here, actually, it's more of the, the chastisement word. The rod that he's talking about. And the admonition is more of the teaching side of things. But one way or the other, as you look at this, we can't just have the punishment side, the chastisement side. We also have to have the teaching. How are we training our kids? And I'll tell you, the answer too often is we're training them just like the world. And I'm not talking about training them up to be immoral and things like that. But we're training them to have goals like the world. Our kids might be very goal-oriented with our help. And maybe one of these days they'll grow up and they'll swing a bat better than anybody else has ever swung a bat in the history of playing baseball. Maybe they'll kick a ball better than anyone else has kicked a little checkered ball around. Maybe, maybe they'll grow up and they'll solve the greatest math equations that have eluded all of the mathematicians and all of the great minds for all of history. Maybe they'll be able to do those things. But if we don't raise them in the admonition of the Lord, what have we done? It's not just about raising them to be productive members of this worldly society, but about raising them with the, with the drive and the motivation to help this worldly society to get to the next world. To learn about Jesus and to learn about Christ and to learn about morality. And I'll tell you, we can have all the same goals as the people around us and we're accomplishing nothing. But we get caught up in it. We get caught up in all of the academia. We get caught up in all of the recreation. We get caught up in, in all of the careers and all of these different things. We get caught up in, in parenting. And we conform and we're just like everybody else. We've got to keep our focus. I'm not saying that any of those things are inherently evil. So don't get me wrong tonight. But what are the most important things? Are our kids going to be growing up with the mentality that they will be there for their congregation no matter what? They will be the ones who will grow up and serve in the kingdom of God. They will be committed to raising godly children. They will serve in whatever capacity the Lord leads them into, whether it's a shepherding or a serving role or an evangelistic role or whatever role that they can have. Is that what they'll be committed to as we send them out on their own as adults? Let's not conform to the world and put all these goals in their minds and their heads that, that isn't God's goals. Equip them. Let them be well-rounded. What about something else? I may really get into it now, and, and I don't mean any of these things in a high-minded way, obviously, by confession struggling with some of these things. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 9, he says, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with boarded hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, I am not here to be the modesty police. Uh, because I don't have all the answers on. I'm not here to tell you which sleeve length is too long or too short or, or how long the dress needs to be or how tight or loose a man's shirt needs to be. I believe a guy can be just as immodest. Sorry, I'm pressing buttons there. As a woman can at times. But oh, we look at the world around us and we understand that they have such a physical, physical mindset. 
Everything that they're trying to sell today is, is about, I mean, they use the body. They're using sensuality. Who are the famous people nowadays? It's, well, we talked about scientists and things like that. It's not the scientists, it's, it's the IG models. And it's whoever has the, you know, the most nudity on whatever social media that they're on. But how are we dressing? You know, this is one of those things that's easy to get caught up in. I remember as a kid, I, I remember as a kid, I think even as a guy, and maybe not just as a kid, you worry about what you look like. <coughs> I mean, there are times we all, to one extent or another, we worry what we look like. And whenever we, we go to the racks at the, at the stores or whether we're going into our closets, very often we're thinking, what is someone else going to think about this outfit? And like I said, my intention is not to be the modesty police here, but it's, it's to think differently. Not about what it says about me, not about what it says to other people, but think about what, what, what I wear says to God. And I think that's for us to search out and to seek out for ourselves and as individuals, but to put diligence in. And to say, how can I profess godliness with something as simple as what I wear? Because it can, I guess. What you wear can profess godliness. Or, I guess it can profess something that is worldly. And for us, it's easy to conform even on simple things like these. I was talking to a parent long ago as I was about to be a dad for the first time. You know that my, da uh, my, my daughter's my firstborn. I'm about to have a little girl and I'm, I'm looking for advice. I'm feeling very unprepared. I still feel that way at times. But, but I, I started hearing in particular some, some conversations of people talking about, um, about how they just couldn't stand it how often that they were preaching about modesty at church. And they wish that they would get off of the subject and leave it alone. And, and, they, and, and I was like, well, I don't understand. I mean, isn't it a good thing we talk about these, these type of things, talk about morality, talk about modesty? Why do we want to go off of this? And he says, well, there's all these expectations on our girls that they're the ones that always got to be modest and they're the ones that have always got to be good. And he said, but what are, what, what are the girls that the guys want out there? If they're going to find a guy, then they've got to dress a certain way and they've got to act a certain way. And so if we want to be married, we got to allow them to dress a certain way. And, and I'm just sitting here, and, and I'm telling you, i got my own flaws and faults, but as a guy who's about to be a dad to a little girl, I'm going, wait a minute. Is that what we want for our little girls? For them to dress just however way that, that they need to attract a, a guy? Is that the type of guy that we want looking for our little girls? Is that who's going to be the best for them? Is that the standards we're really setting? Well, that's where our, our standards have really dropped and they've fallen. There's a lot of people who complain uh, about anyone who might, I don't know, there's people throw around the term judgment. I'm not talking about judging somebody else this evening. So I'm not talking about you looking at somebody else and thinking about them being immodest. I'm talking about you and me thinking about ourselves. Is what I wear going to profess godliness? Is what I wear going to be something that God looks at and says, yeah, I approve of that. First Peter chapter 3, he's talking to women who are married to men in particular who are not Christians. And he said, instead of winning them over with their womanly wiles, he said, let them behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be with outward adorning and plating a hair or wearing a gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. With our children, if we really want them to value the heart above the outside, 
If we really want them to value what's on the inside rather than what they're clothed in or not clothed in, let's teach on the heart. Let's teach on what matters and let's set higher standards. Some people are so upset and they say, well, if you're so focused on what I'm not wearing that you're not looking at my, my heart and not looking at who I really am. Well, sometimes we might need to wear a little bit more so people can have a chance to see what's on the inside. Brothers and sisters, there's all kinds of things. We could, we could talk about a lot of different things this evening about how it's easy for us to, to conform to the world. And these are just a couple, I don't know if they're little things, but just a couple things. We haven't even talked about sexual immorality or, or worship, but we know these are areas where all of us or someone we know has conformed to the world in some type of way and it's important that we don't conform, not, not just for our sake, but, be, but for the Lord's sake, because he's called us to a higher standard. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 14, he says, As obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. There's a lot of be ye holies in this in this particular passage. And he said, look, I want you to, to look at me and to look at my example and be like me. Why should I be holy? Why should I be seeking to be more like him and less like the world? He said, because be like me. That's what it's about. He said, don't be like you used to be. Don't fashion yourself according to your former lust. Man, I'm telling you. I'll tell you what it is, Yancey. I'm hitting the bottom button, so... Not in video game practice. There's too many buttons. <laughs> but he says, like obedient children, we want our, child, our children to obey us. We want our children to follow our lead. One of the scariest things Solomon ever said, I think in Proverbs in my mind, is my son, watch thou the things that I do and follow me. That's a rough paraphrase there. But that's hard to do as a dad. But you know, God, he, God, he can do that. And he says, I want you to watch me, and I want you to do what I do. He doesn't just call us to holiness for our sake, though. He doesn't just call us to holiness for his sake. I'll tell you what we can be, is we can be a benefit to the people around us. Because you and I, we should stand out, and we should be different. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, he said, You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from freshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. He, he wants us to be, uh, he said, you're a chosen generation. You know, God has been planning for people to join his church and to be a part of this royal, royal priesthood since, since before the foundations of the world. And whenever we embrace the gospel and embrace the forgiveness, he said, now you're a different type of people. That peculiar people doesn't mean weirdness. I mean, sometimes people will look at me and go, the dude's pretty peculiar, you know. And they're right. I guess I'm a little different sometimes. I don't see that always. Ellen has to point that out to me. But, but peculiar means beyond the usual. And whenever we're talking about standards of morality, it's, it's beyond the usual, the standard morality of the world. 
And so he said we're people who stand out not because we're weird and not just because we're different to be different, but because we follow a code that God has laid down. And it's not one that man would look at and logically go, yeah, that's the way that it ought to be. But it's when God has said, aspire to it and be that. He's called you out of darkness. He's called you out of those former patterns of life. He's called you away from those former activities and actions and, and feelings and thoughts and activities. And he said, now you're the people of God, so be the people of God. Act like the people of God. You've obtained mercy now. And he said, but I want you to do this so that whenever everyone else, the Gentiles, there's the people outside of the church, but whenever they'll look at you, they might see what you're doing and they might say, oh, they're just evil people. And that's what the world's doing nowadays, I guess. They're calling good evil, calling evil good, trying to make you feel like you're doing the wrong thing when you're doing the right thing. He said, if they're crying that, if they're crying foul when you're doing right, he said, that's what, that's what you ought to be doing. You're shining a light. And as he's called us to be this person, he said, they might for a time speak evil to you as evildoers, but they'll look at the things that you're doing and the different life that you're living for me, and maybe they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Maybe somebody will be changed. We're going to read another passage a little bit that we'll talk about that candle that is, that is put on a candlestick and not put under a bushel about the city that is on a hill that everyone sees. We're the light of the world. But if we are living like everyone else in the world, then there is no light to see. Everyone's walking in darkness. We're the blind following the blind like we talked about last night. The way that you live says a lot to the people around you about what they should be and who they should seek and higher standards of morality, not because you or I are so wise or so perfect, because we're not. We're the people who need consistent mercy. We're the people who need consistent grace, and we understand that. But I'll tell you, people in the world are counting on you to live differently. They're counting on you to live more like Christ, because if you don't, who will? If you don't, who will? Who will show them the way? Who will show them that there's a better life? Who will show them that there's a better standard? Who will show them that there is a graceful, merciful Father out there who can not only help us to change our life, but grant us forgiveness? And maybe the way we live helps them see that. But that's not comfortable to you and me because I don't like it whenever people speak evil of me for trying to do the right thing. That doesn't feel good. In fact, I'd rather, I'd rather fly under the radar. I'd rather not have anyone. I don't know, just don't even look at me. I mean, much less speak evil of me sometimes. And so we shut it off. We do put the candle in our bushel. We do shut the, I don't know, the lights to the city off, so to speak. And we blend in. We know very well how to do that. Peter knew how to do that. You remember whenever Jesus told him that three times he would deny Jesus before the, the rooster crowed in the morning? As Peter is following behind after they've arrested Jesus, he, he denied them before all, and he said, I don't know what you're saying, because they accused him and said, I know you're with Jesus. And he said, nope, I don't know. And then, verse 71, he said, gone to a porch, another person saw him and said, you are with Jesus in Nazareth. And he didn't deny, and he said, nope, I swear it, I promise. And then he goes on a little further on, and someone says, look, I mean, you talk like them, you sound like them, surely you're with them. Your speech betrays you. And so he began to curse and he began to swear. And he said, I don't know the man. Now look, you and I, we may not, we may not knowingly do what he did. Because what he did was conform so people would leave him alone. He's worried about his neck here, isn't he? And so he said, if they think I'm with him, 
then I got to act a little bit more like them. And so he went to great lengths to do that. I, you know, it's hard when you're a kid, they stand around the schoolyard, those times whenever the kids, they, they come up and they want to tell you a dirty joke, it's hard not to laugh with your buddies. I remember how hard it was because you didn't want to feel left out and you didn't want anyone to point out you're different. You know, I got news, kids. I mean, it still feels like that when you're adults. It's still awkward and difficult sometimes. It's hard to stand out and be different, but you know what? Taking those, taking those lumps, I guess. Sometimes taking the heat because you've been different. Not, not been different so that you can walk around and feel better than someone else, but you've been different because it's the right thing for you in your relationship with God. But maybe somebody recognizes that someday. And they'll look at you and, and they'll say, you know what? You are walking with Jesus. And you are talking about Jesus like, like he talked. And you are. The way that you live, it betrays you that you're a Christian. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about Jesus? Hopefully that opportunity comes for you and me, but it won't come. It won't come if we blend in with the world. We need to create those opportunities by being committed to living the life that God has called us to. In Luke 11, at verse 33, he says, No man, when he's lighted a candle, puts it in a secret place, neither in a bushel nor in a candlestick, that they, when they come in, they may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Now, this is where this gets a little bit different. He says the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is single, the whole body is full of light. And when the eye is evil, the body is also full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. And for the whole body be therefore full of light, having no dark part, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Now, we already talked a little bit about how we're the light of the world, so I'm not going to go into that in detail. We ought to be the light of the world. But then he goes into the same concept that we started with about not being conformed to the world, about coming out and being separate. That's where if the eye is single, the whole eye, the whole body is full of light. He said, be careful about what you take in. Be careful about what you take in. Be careful about what you look at. Be careful about what you consume. Be careful about what are the dominant influences in your life. Because, you know, the things that I'm around the most, those are the things that I'm going to do. I'm messing something up, Jeremy. I'm getting a little bit loud over there. I'm just a little bit loud in general. <laughs> and he said, so I want you to be careful about the things that you take in. Because that's probably what's going to come out of you. He goes on and he gives another warning. Take heed that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Now, I've heard of black lights and blue lights and kill zone lights when I'm hunting, you know, hunting pigs, things like that. All types of different lights. But... It's intriguing here that he says, Let, be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness. What does that mean? It means that no matter how you're living, you're shining a light. As a Christian, no matter how you're living, whether you're really not living for Christ or you are living for Christ, you're an example to somebody. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is looking what you're doing. Somebody is looking and listening to the way that you're talking. Somebody is looking at the way that you're treating your spouse. Somebody is looking at the way that you evangelize. Somebody is looking about the way that you handle your business. Somebody is looking about the way that you consume entertainment. Somebody is watching you. 
And brothers and sisters, we carry the name of Christ. And so if we, as Christians, calling ourselves Christians, go out and we look just like the world, you know what the world says? You know what the world does? They justify their life by your standard. And they say, Brother Lee over there, Brother Lee doesn't have a problem saying those words if I'm talking like I shouldn't. He's, he's a Christian, and he talks this way, so it's all right for me. That's how the world justifies their actions oftentimes, isn't it? doesn't mean they're justified by God. But I shouldn't be the justification for why they're living the way they are. Am I showing what Christianity really is with the light that I'm showing? Or am I showing a distorted version of Christianity? Am I showing a distorted version of morality? Or am I really that peculiar people that he's called me to be? We've got to conform to the image of Christ and not conform to this world. Because if we don't, there's so many people who guaranteed are depending on you that are in your circle of interaction that need your example to help lead them to Jesus. And if you're not living like you ought to, and if you're living just like them, they have no reason to change. They have no reason to ask. First Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 15, he said, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man, to ask you through a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So here he tells us to put the word in our hearts so we'll be ready to give answers. Now, what are we giving answers to? People who are asking us about why we do the things that we do. Why do we live the way that we live? Why do we have hope in eternity? Why do we live like a people have hope? Why when everybody is worried about America burning into an awful vortex of awful and going into all these other problems and, and, and the politics are failing and the presidents are failing us and the governors are failing us and the, and the vaccines are failing us. Whenever everyone's falling into this vortex of panic, why are you still going about business and serving your God with a happy heart? Why, whenever you go through traumas and troubles in your life, do you still go through it and you're able to make it through it? Why do you make sure to, to live a certain way that you do? Why do you do some of the funny things that you do that, that the world doesn't do? Why are you not out there drinking with everybody else? Why are you not out there consuming the world like everybody else? Are you living in a way that people could, could even ask you why? Because if we're living just like them in the world, they don't have a reason to ask us why. So we need to live. We need to live for the Lord. And we need to be renewed in our lifestyles as Christians so that someone will have a reason to ask you, why do you Christians act the way that you do? And he can tell them it's not about you. And he can tell them about how it's not because you're perfect because you're not. And you can tell them that you don't have the perfect life and you don't have the perfect relationship and you don't always do the right thing and say the right thing, but you serve a God who has called you to something better because he offers something better. That's what you then can tell them about. You can walk through them about your struggles and talk to them about how Jesus answered those struggles. You can walk through them about your trials and tell them how Jesus walks you through your troubles. You, you, can, you can do that with them, but... You can only do that, brothers and sisters, if you're committed to conforming to Jesus instead of conforming to the world. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. I'll tell you, Jesus does that to lives. Jesus takes the lives of people who have lived in sin for a long time. 
Jesus takes the lives of people who have just been entrapped and entangled and plagued by their problems and their sins, and he gives them a better life. And he gives them a good family, brothers and sisters. He gives them people who are good influences. He gives them good shoulders that they can cry on. And good, good, I mean, loving embraces that build them up. He gives them examples that they can aspire to. That's what Jesus gives. And that's why you and I have to, to make our commitment to transforming our mind to be more like him and less like all that influence that is around us in the world. If you're struggling with that this evening, if you look at your life and you feel like you have conformed in ways that, that you shouldn't have, and, and maybe you're trying to shake that, maybe you're trying to wash your wall off, let's, let us help you this evening. We'll go to God in prayer with this evening. If you want studies, we can, we can do that with you. There's no perfect person in this building. There'll be no judgment. There'll be no harsh feelings. There'll just be help because we've all needed help at one point or another. And if maybe you just want to start transforming your life for Jesus for the first time, he offers his blood, he offers his sacrifice, and he offers his gospel to remove all your sins and start you living that new life, renewed in his image, and renewed in thinking and living in the way he did. If we can help you in some ways, please sit on one of these front chairs while we sing this last song.